Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Congratulations for setting your clock ahead and, uh, and getting here this morning and uh, Douglas corrected me this morning. I said, Douglas, I know it's, you know, maybe a smaller crowd today, but, uh, you know, the, uh, the important people are here, right? And he said, no, all people are important. And I thought, you know, a preacher, a preacher should know that, right? But, uh, so I appreciate Douglas telling me that. But thank you for being here. And, uh, you know, um, Lent is, you know, a time when hopefully we're paying attention to our walk with Jesus, uh, and hopefully our proximity to Jesus as we maybe pay more attention to our prayer, our, our service, um, our worship, um, just our mindfulness going through life. Um, maybe it does remind us, I hope, how much God loves us, uh, how patient God is with us. Um, and it kind of sounds sort of negative, but I think it's true, too, that it reminds me, at least, how far short I fall of the glory of God. And, and, and um, it exposes some things that maybe needs to change in my life. And that's, kind of the, that's, that's sort of the hard part of Lent. That's sort of the, the uh, daylight savings time of Lent, right? We do the hard work of being honest, as Sam said, uh, to ourselves uh, to those we love and to God about maybe where there are gaps in our lives. Um, and of course, since none of us is perfect here today, that's really not bad news because God loves us anyway, but God is calling us to change, to change, and that's good. Uh, we walk with Jesus. We're mindful of where we're falling short of the grace of God. We remember our sins, where we fall short, and it's also where we lament where we lament those places in our lives. We may even on occasion weep. Now what makes you weep? That's the question today. We're dealing with uh, uh, several questions over as, we, as we get closer to Easter. What makes you weep? Because you can tell a lot about a person by what breaks, by what breaks their heart. Um, you know, in the early American revival period and the Great Awakenings, um, at these big camp meetings and when things were stirring and the Holy Spirit was stirring in our, in our uh, country, um, they always had a mourner's bench. Does anybody know what a mourner's bench is? 
they would always save space somewhere in the sanctuary or somewhere on the campgrounds for people who responded to the goodness of God to go and sit and just for, for, for moments just mourn their sins and, 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 and where they can just be honest that they're broken and that their lives are shattered and that they need God. I, I, don't, I don't think we have a whole lot of mourners benches today um, in, in our churches and, and you know, maybe we need one. I don't know where we would put it. Um, but, uh, but maybe we need one to capture something. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, um, what, what causes you joy? Uh, you can tell a lot about a person by what causes you joy, right? Uh, a, a meal with somebody you love, uh, walking around the block with a family member, a good Netflix uh, series, uh, maybe, uh, a baseball game or a football game or a basketball team where your team wins, that... That causes a little short burst of of joy. But I tell you, what makes you weep might even be a greater indication of what you value and what you love in this life. What breaks your heart? I'm like a lot of you. uh, I'm a child of of divorced parents. And the divorce was sort of messy. It was in the early 80s. And um, of course, there's not really a clean divorce, is there? I mean, they're always really tough. And... And, uh, and I can remember it was difficult, and like most divorces, there were sort of hard feelings between my mom and my dad. And, um, but 21 years later, at, at my mom's funeral, um, uh, had a big, had a big uh, gathering at Brookhaven first. My mom had moved out of town. She grew up in Birmingham, but uh, uh, the funeral uh, was, was beautiful. And my dad, my mom's ex-husband, decided, you know what? Me, Bruce, me, you, and Liz, and Caddy, it's just going to be us at the graveside. Why don't we sneak out to East Haven Baptist Cemetery and, uh, and let's do graveside, just a private thing. And so we go out there. And of course, I'm the chief resident pastor in my family, right? Like, I've got to be the religious one. So I'm sitting here kind of going through the, okay, maybe I can do Psalm 23, I don't know, you know. My dad had my mom's ashes. And when, and when he put him in the ground, he started to weep. And you know those strong people in your lives that you just kind of think they're always strong? That's, that's who I thought my dad was. And he is and was a very strong man. Ben, it is something to see the strongest person in your life start to weep. And he just wept. And he couldn't catch his breath. I've only seen my dad cry really hard twice. And he, did, he didn't really weep the passing of my mom. I mean, of course, we were all sad about her dying. He began to say, I'm so sad for Maureen. Because she missed out on so many things these past 20 years. And you know, it was a beautiful thing. Because it was, the, it was uh, you know, I knew right then if I ever had a doubt what was most impo- is most important to my dad is being there for each other. Presence. Presence. Beach vacations, whatever. You know, that's, that's when I saw him at his, see him at his happiest. But I thought to myself, weeping and getting all messed up, right, is a very vulnerable thing. Right? It's very, very vulnerable. 
But it tells a lot about you when you get so choked up that you're not sure what to say. Because what comes to the surface of your life and my life when we crack open, allow our hearts to crack open, is what we cherish and love in life. I struggled through Psalm 23, um, and it was a deeply sad moment, but, but it also rang true, and I got a rare window into somebody that I love, being there for each, for each other. Um, important. We get a window in the heart of Jesus today as we read Scripture. Jesus, it doesn't say explicitly that he's weeping, but I, I can't imagine him saying, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I, how I could be a mother hen and gather you up without his face just being wet as he looks at Jerusalem. The people that he had come to redeem and to save and to usher in of love of God and love of neighbor, the very people he was called to save had sort of turned their backs on him, or at least the religious leaders did. Now, a lot of people didn't, but the people in power did. Now, earlier we heard, as, as, as Deborah uh, read the scripture, that at first they were, uh, some of his uh, political opponents were like, Jesus, they were like being nice to Jesus. Look, Herod wants to kill you. So, so the most important and powerful man in that whole region, Herod, sort of the governor of the region, wants to do you in. And Jesus is like, well, you tell that fox, I don't care. No big deal. Um, and then Jesus started to talk about the, t- the fact that, you know, he's going to die. He knows that. He's walking into a political nightmare and they're going to they're gonna torture him and hang him on a cross. And he knew that. He wasn't weeping for his life. He wasn't weeping for the fact that he was um, going to die. I mean, that's that, that's not what Jesus was, was, was so lamenting about. He was lamenting over the fact that as he was sharing and going to give his whole heart away to people, that they, they weren't going to respond. And that, that, broke, that broke Jesus' heart. Broke Jesus' heart. You know... Um, you know, I, I, I know a thing or two, like, because in my family, it kind of runs in my family about depression, you know. And I know many of you either personally deal with that, suffer from that. I want you to know that you're not abnormal. You're a normal human being, and it happens. But, you know, when you're dealing with it, or when a family member of yours is dealing with either situational depression, or, or kind of over the long haul, sort of like the, the way, my, you know, my mom had to wrestle with it... Um, you learn that depression is not about really being sad so much as it is not about being able to feel. Does that make sense? That there's this sort of inability to, to feel joy or sadness in a way, right? And so um, sometimes because we're so sort of scared of being vulnerable or we think, gosh, if I cry, if my heart breaks over something, that might mean, maybe there's something wrong with me. No, that is a gift of God, a great emotional gift of God that can help you learn about who you really are at your very core. Because when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, he was weeping over people, over people who were trapped, 
by their power struggles. He was weeping over people who were hiding behind their masks. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm great. Great, that's good. He was weeping over people who were hiding behind their Instagram and Facebook where everything is like a human highlight reel, you know, and everything looks rosy and happy. He was weeping because I think people were not being honest with themselves and with other people. And when you do that, you start looking for power, right? Because if you can't feel and be a human being, at least if you've got a little bit of money or a little bit of influence, you can hide behind power. And Jesus says, there's no power in that kind of power. There's no power in saying I'm fine all the time. The power is being able to be honest. What would it be like if as a part of our church, when somebody asks you how you were doing, you could be honest to them? Now, I know you can't tell your life story to everybody that checks in and asks you how you're doing, but what's it like when you know you've got one, two, or three people that if you broke down and wept, they would be just fine and they would sit with you on that mourner's bench and be with you. What would it be like if you were that person for somebody else who said, you know what? Life can be a royal mess and that's okay. God loves you. What kind of power? That's real power, right? Because if you're a safe place for somebody to come to and they can weep in front of, you have accomplished something that very few people can't. I mean, that is the heart of ministry. Jesus talked about the prophets. You know, Jeremiah said, man, I just wish my head was just a river that I could cry for the people who take advantage of widows and orphans who don't care a thing in the world about the poor. I wish I could just cry a river because that's the way it feels to me. Paul says... In, uh, in Philippians, you know, as I write this, I realize I'm in tears, he says, because of the people who live as enemies of Christ. And you know why that made Paul weep? Because he was an enemy of Christ. He's thinking about maybe his life before when all he could be was angry and superior to other people. And he wept because he knows exactly what that's like. Peter wept. Bitterly, when he said, I don't know the man. Or the sinner, the woman who was set apart. She was too dirty for everybody else. She walks in, and what does she bathe Jesus' feet with before she anoints him? Her tears. Everybody else, all those religious folk who had their happy face on and who were doing, thinking they were doing just fine, were just disgusted by this woman who wept in front of Jesus. And Jesus said, you didn't even wash my feet. Didn't even show me the basic, uh, 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 the basic courtesy of hospitality. But here this woman is, this, quote, intruder has come in and she has shown you what it means to love me. And her faith is great. Maybe not, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, but maybe it's, oh, Hattiesburg, oh, Hattiesburg. When Jesus looks at our city, does he rejoice or does he weep? Maybe a little of both. Have we put away the prophets? Have we pretended everything is just fine in our fair city and forget that there are people who are broken and hurting? Maybe that's what Jesus is asking us to do 
today. Like the song that they picked, which is beautiful. That was like a last minute um, addition, right? Wow. How awesome is the Holy Spirit? Be honest. What would it be like this Lent if we were honest? If you could find at least one person that you could share your deepest longings with, that even if you broke down and wept, they would love you, they would accept you. And they would be inspired even by your tears. Well, that's the kind of church that I dream about. It's the kind of city that I dream about. And I think, and I think there's a lot of that going on. I pray every day that we have more of that. Will Willimon, who was a, a teacher of mine at Duke, talked about the time when he was a junior high in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Will Willimon, um, he was a junior high. And you know how sometimes they put a youth on the administrative board? He was on the administrative board. It was probably 1958 or 59. And his uh, preacher there was gathered with a whole bunch of other preachers for months on end. They were canvassing churches because of all people, Billy Graham was coming to little old Greenville, South Carolina to do a revival. So this preacher was so excited about it, got everybody, uh, as many people as he could, excited about it. And then at the administrative board with young Will Willimon, junior high, right there on the front row listening, He talked about this great opportunity that they had, that Billy Graham was coming to town and that we need to get behind it and support it, that that Reverend Graham was all about um, giving people, you know, opening up a a Holy Spirit um, uh, experience for people and then connecting them with churches. And he talked about the logic behind it and all that. And all of a sudden one, one person raised up and had his arms up and he said, that's just the Baptist trying to get a leg up on us Methodists. And then another hand went up over here and said, I heard that Billy Graham allows for racial mixing at his revivals. No way and you know where we're going to allow that to happen. The vote wasn't even close. First Methodist Church or Balkum Methodist Church decided not to participate. As a junior high, Will Willimon walked out the side door, walked down the hallway, and the door was, there was a light in one of the offices. And when he peered in, he heard somebody weeping. It was his pastor. And Will said, you know, God sometimes is really challenging and demanding over what we've got to do in life. And it's hard. And he said, the best gift I've ever gotten was to hear my preacher weep over my city. What makes you weep says a lot about you. Think about that this Lent as you walk closely with Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, it's all over scripture. We see that sometimes your heart gets broken. Oftentimes it does. We know that still, even in 2020, that there are things that break the heart 
of you. God, may the same things that break your heart break our hearts. May this be a place, O Lord, where even if someone felt like they needed to weep, that they knew that they were in a place where they could do so. Help us to be honest and be people whose hearts are not so hard that they can't be broken. In your Christ's name we pray. Amen.